Good morning. Austin is away with family today, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning. A few weekends ago, Ellis and I were able to spend a couple of days at my parents' home in Birmingham. I was able to see a friend who had just had a baby, and I saw my brother and his family, who I haven't seen in, um, in a, a few months since July, so it was a really nice time. Fortunately, my parents have a treasure trove of toys to occupy Ellis. Having already had one grandchild, they were prepared in the toy department, in the age-appropriate toy department. And let me say, Ellis was a fan. Her favorite toy was a microphone. That surprises anyone. One of the other toys was a flashlight, and I'm pretty sure it was one that I played with when I was a child. But in spite of its age, once we added fresh batteries, Ellis found it pretty cool to shine a light on things. She would shine a light on everything she could. On the wall, on her toys, in her eyes, in our eyes. It seemed like it was a pretty fun toy for her until she suddenly became afraid of it. Well, come to find out, she was scared that it was following her when she would walk with it. In her little developing brain, she couldn't understand why it would move every time she moved. You know, sometimes lectionary texts are easier to work with than others. And in this case, it wasn't so easy for me. Honestly, I was very frustrated with this text in particular for a good majority of the time. And mostly, I was just impatient. I spent a lot of time sitting with the text, waiting for something to jump out at me as, well, that's it, this is it, this is what I need to focus on. It took a while, but after I reread it for what felt like the 50th time, something Paul said finally caught my eye. He says, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened enough to see, would have enough light to see. I found those words to be incredibly beautiful. The translation that I I love for today's text is from the Common English Bible. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call. What is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers? And what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us? What is that light? What was Paul implying? Paul went on to talk about what he hoped they would see with the light. But we can only imagine that Paul was talking about the light being Christ. And what better time for us to talk about the light that will grow and eventually burst forth on Christmas Day than today, the Sunday before we begin our Advent journey. Next week, we'll light the first candle of Advent. Each Sunday comes another candle, and the light will grow brighter until it is the brightest when we light the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian Christians, wrote a beautiful prayer of gratitude and of thanksgiving. 
but it's also a prayer of hope for those who are part of the Ephesian church. So let's think about a few insights that we might can glean from this text. What does the hope of our calling mean? What was Paul getting at? Well, just a few verses later in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, You are one body and spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. What is the hope of our calling? Well, we know that our calling is to live and breathe the actions of Jesus Christ. There is a deep hope in that calling. Hope for each other and hope for our world. You might even say that there's a sense of enlightenment that comes with the hope of our calling as Christians. When we find ourselves surrounded by darkness, there's always the possibility of hope just as there is always the possibility of light. Think about it. Jesus, who is the light of the world, was arrested and hung on a cross to die. And when he died, the whole earth was covered in darkness. But we know that the light was still present. There was still light burning inside that dark tomb. Take the encounter that Jesus had with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Their eyes were blinded by darkness, by the death of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. They couldn't recognize who it was speaking to them, and it wasn't until Jesus broke the bread and blessed it, giving thanks to God, that their eyes were opened. How many times do we experience that? How many times do we feel as though God isn't there in the darkness, only to realize that God was there the entire time, sustaining us and giving us strength? It's only when we open our eyes that we can see that light. We can see the hope that comes with the love that God calls us to. The richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers It's more than just the amazing blessings that will one day be ours. I want to consider these words from the perspective of the inheritance that God will receive. So what is that inheritance? Well, we are. You and I. We are God's people. We are God's inheritance full of life and light shining for so many others to see and to witness. Paul is praying that we know God. And more specifically, that we know we are God's own inheritance. The key word that I connect most to in verse 19 is the word overwhelming. And what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us? I connect to this because I can feel it. I have felt what overwhelmed feels like, and I can imagine what these words, this awesome, overwhelming greatness of God's power is pointing to. Sometimes we take God for granted. We know God's power is great. We know that God is omnipotent and offers this amazing divine grace, but sometimes it gets pushed to the side. We take for granted just how powerful that is. How powerful it is that we are offered that grace and that love every day. 
Paul prays that we have enough light to see all these things. Where do we find that light? How do we have it? Is it already present within us? In her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, Barbara Brown Taylor says, those of us who wish to draw near to God should not be surprised when our vision goes cloudy. For this is a sign that we are approaching the opaque splendor of God. If we decide to keep going beyond the point where our eyes or our minds are any help to us, we may finally arrive at the pinnacle of the spiritual journey toward God, which exists in complete and dazzling darkness. So just sit with that for a second. If we keep going beyond the point of comfort, deeper into the dark, does the light exist in that complete and dazzling darkness? There's a book and now a series on Netflix called All the Light We Cannot See. You may have heard of it. It's a story of hope amidst total devastation. If you were to watch it or read it, you would meet Marie-Laurie LeBlanc, who is a blind girl living in Nazi-occupied France, and Werner Finning, an orphan German boy who was recruited to work for the Nazi army. They don't know each other, but when they were both children, they used to listen to the radio to a professor who would teach children things about the world. This professor was actually Marie Laurie's uncle, but it was something that the professor said that connected the two of them. He said this, and remember, Marie Laurie is blind, and Werner grew up in an orphanage destined to live his life in a dark coal mine. The professor said this, the brain is locked in total darkness, of course, children. It floats in a clear liquid inside the skull, never in the light. And yet the world it constructs in the mind is full of light. It brims with color and movement. So how, children, does the brain, which lives without a spark of light, build for us a world full of light? So imagine a blind girl who only knows darkness and an orphan boy who worked in the darkness of a coal mine hearing these words. They both had a different experience, but each were living in the darkness, literally and metaphorically. And it is truly remarkable to think of what the mind can do. But couldn't we imagine the professor might also be talking about the heart? Our hearts are locked in total darkness. They never see the light. And yet the world it experiences and feels is full of light. It brims with color and movement. So how does the heart build for us a world full of light? Well, the answer could be quite simple. Paul believed that it was quite simple. Just like Ellis was afraid of the light following her, we are also sometimes afraid of the light. Sometimes the darkness feels safer. You don't have to see things the way they really are if it's in the dark. We say, no, 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 I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Let me just put my blinders up and ignore it. It's too difficult to watch. 
It's too hard to take in. I don't want to see it. Light puts everything on display. We live in a dark world these days. But it doesn't have to be that way. Barbara Brown Taylor does believe that it's in the darkness that we experience God. And we should believe that too. Exodus chapter 20 verse 21 says that the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness in which God was present. The thick darkness where God was. Moses experienced God in the darkness. It's in meeting God in the dark that we find God. Because God is light enough to open the eyes of our hearts where we find the overwhelming power of God at work. This week the sanctuary is decorated, but the lights haven't been turned on yet. It's not because we forgot or because we lost the little remote control to turn on the candles in the window. It's intentional because Advent has yet to begin. Our journey towards the birth of Jesus is getting ever so closer, but it's not quite here yet. Each Sunday of Advent, more light will be added to this space. We start the season in total darkness, and we end it by welcoming the Christ child, the light of the world. It is truly a beautiful image to carry the light out of this space into the dark of night on Christmas Eve. It is Christ who is the flashlight, always following us, shining light into our world and casting out the darkness within our hearts. Maybe the light that can help to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts is scary and intimidating. Maybe the hope of God's call is too much to think about. Maybe the riches of God's glorious inheritance is overwhelming. And maybe the matchless power of God available to us feels uncomfortable to accept. But we are given the wonderful gift of light that we can't see. Just as the professor said in his radio broadcast to children, light is always present in the mind, being created, built, and magnified. The same is true for our hearts. There is light that is present even in the darkest of days. Light that can be transformed and built and magnified by the eyes of our hearts. Even if our minds and our hearts live in darkness, they can still show us incredible light. Because Christ, the light of the world, is in the darkness. Amen.